This podcast is brought to you by Podcast Nation. Welcome to the Mom Room Podcast. My name is Renee Rena, and I am definitely the mom friend you have always wanted. This episode is sponsored by The Latte Co. If you follow me on social media, you'll know that I make Milo smoothies all the time and I'm always putting a powder in them. That powder is created by The Latte Co. It is 100% plant-based. They have a baby latte, which is for 12 months and up, and then a kiddo latte, which is what Milo is using right now, which is for 24 months and up. You can put the powder in just water, you can put it in smoothies, you can even throw it in baking. It's made with organic, whole food ingredients, it contains more calcium than cow's milk, has a huge range of vitamins and minerals, it is gluten-free, dairy-free, soy-free, and it is nut-free. I'll just read off some of the ingredients here. So hemp hearts, pea protein powder, grinded flax seeds, beetroot, green cabbage, kale, broccoli, tomato, pumpkin. I mean, it goes on and on. I consider this stuff my secret weapon and it's so nice to give Milo a smoothie that has this powder in it and I know that he's getting a bunch of nutrition. The awesome people at The Latte Co. would like to give you guys 10% off and free shipping on your first order with the promo code THEMOMROOM10. You can find the link in the episode notes or you can simply go to thelatteco.com. I cannot recommend this stuff enough. So remember, it is promo code THEMOMROOM10 for a 10% discount and free shipping. www.thelatteco.com. Today, I'm talking with Jancy Dunn. She is a New York Times bestselling author. Her book, How Not to Hate Your Husband After Kids, was January's book club pick. And the reason I picked it for the book club was as I was doing this podcast episodes with guests, at the end, I often ask them for three recommendations that they would give for moms. And it could be anything. And so many people suggested this book. So I was like, hey, clearly I need to read this. How have I not heard about this book? And so Yeah, the book was amazing. Uh, Highly recommended if anyone listening hasn't read it already. Super relatable. The title I find is a little bit misleading because even my husband, he saw this book on the side table in the living room and he was like, are you reading your husband resentment book? And I was like, that's not what it's about. (laughs) It's actually about like very good information about marriage and communicating. And it's not just about your husband. It was a lot about you as well. I'm curious how you came up with the idea for this book and what your husband thought about it when you came to him with the idea. (laughs) The title is a bit harsh and it is a bit of a grabber. And I can remember saying to our marketing department, you know, my publisher's marketing department, like, which year we want to go with this? Because I said it in a flippant way. My friend Jenny suggested it, who was a worn out mom. And they said, no, no, no. You know, especially when you first have a baby, you're so out of it. You need something that really, you know, grabs you, which it does. But again, you're right. It is not anti-men and there's no way to, you know, I even said to my publisher, like, maybe we should do a fake cover, like introduction to string theory or just something that would, that would hide it. So, (laughs) and it's funny what every woman, when they, when they imitate their husband, they all use the husband voice. Like, Oh, what? (laughs) I do it with my own husband and he doesn't talk like that. You know, he's not like, Oh, what you, you hate me. You know, okay. My husband is a journalist. And so 
when I brought it up to him, you know, I, it was, I was a little nervous, but he was surprisingly okay with it because he saw, because he's a business person and he saw that, you know, when I, when I put out the proposal, I thought, oh, well, surely there's been a book like this before, you know, I, whatever, I'll, I'll try it. I mean, books, you try a lot of different things, hoping it sticks. And I had a lot of interest from various publishing houses. And so, you know, he said, okay, if this is really in the air, we can try it. I mean, may I read the entire manuscript before you send it off? And I said, yeah, of course. And I really thought he was going to, you know, cross out a lot and object to a lot. But he said, as long as you're truthful, this is making him sound very noble. It's, 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 not, it's not that. But he said, as long as you're truthful, that's okay. And in fact, I didn't know how it was going to end. And, and really, truly, I didn't know if we were going to stay together. And it wasn't necessarily going to be tied up with a bow at the end. And he was prepared for that too. And I think also, you know, our, our marriage was in the toilet at that point and he was willing to try anything. He was scared because normally I was a, a yeller. I'm in our dynamic. I was always the one who kind of popped off as my Southern mother says <laughs> when he would retreat. And I started getting quiet. The, the worse our marriage got, the more I stopped yelling. And that's what scared him is like, everyone's dynamic is different in their marriage. But like, for me, it was when I was kind of saying, you know what? I, I actually don't know if this is working. Well, that woke him up. And that was around the time that I was thinking, maybe I know all these experts, you know, I've, I write for the New York times parenting section. You know, I, I, I know everyone, I didn't at the time, but I, I wrote for O magazine now defunct and I knew a ton of people. And, and it was kind of ironic that our marriage was not doing well. And I, this is what I write about. So so he was kind of curious. He had never been to a therapist and just kind of from a journalistic perspective, he thought, well, what's that all about? You know? So that's the answer is that he really was kind of game. And that automatically made me, that helped to repair our marriage too, because I thought, oh, okay, you know, he's willing to do the work. Already that shifted things for us. I'm sure a lot of couples reach a point where they're like, okay, we're going to go to therapy. We're going to start communicating better and, you know, have this plan to make things run more smoothly. But I'm sure they veer off the road eventually. And do you think the fact that you had a book riding on, you know, going through this entire process, do you think it helped you guys stick to it and keep working at it? And obviously you were consuming so much information about these topics. That must have been really helpful as well. You know, it wasn't, no one has ever asked me that. And that's a very good question. And yes, <laughs> the book did keep us on track. We had to have at least somewhat of a result. And that would have, because it's so easy, of course, to put off therapy, to just getting through the day, particularly now in the pandemic, right? Like, you know, who are these people that can put aside time to talk about the relationship? You know, it, it's, it's hard. And so that did keep us on track. Once we learned what we were supposed to do, we did keep, systems in place that are still there today because once you get the systems it makes things a lot easier not perfect but easier when things as much as you can put on autopilot as possible that was really the solution for us and so that made things a lot easier during the pandemic too because we already knew what to do like you do this I do this we do this she our kid does this it's helped do you guys set aside time to like check in like even still today even still today. Oh, good. Like, that sounds like, oh, buy my book. It's, an, it's really not like that. I swear to you, this is stuff that, you know, I, I had to approach a lot of this research with a skeptic's eye. I write about science and you know, you're a research science, like scientists. There's so much 
disinformation out there. It's crazy. So I had to sift through all of that and really figure out what worked and make it realistic too. Like, you know, to me, check it. So yes, we do, to answer your question, we check in every day around the end of the day and we talk for 10 or 15 minutes about anything but our kid. And so it can be about, you know, news or books we've read or, or anything like that. Books we've read. I mean, TV shows we've watched, you know, or, or whatever. But, but anything but our child or logistical things like that were out of paper towels, which we are. And I have to go and get those later. Same. So, right? Where, where did all the paper towels go? And so so there's, there's that. And then every Friday, we instituted this years ago when I wrote the book of, kind of a check-in meeting on Friday. We keep it festive and there's usually like fun food involved. You know, we try something new and, and we'll just kind of see how everything's going. Sometimes our daughter joins us and it's just about like what's working, what's not, not in a ponderous way, but just, you know, Hey, you know, we could have done better or, Hey, I feel like you're, you know, preoccupied about this, you know, let's talk about it. So just airing it all out, I guess. Because I feel like you really do have to negotiate so much. It doesn't just happen. It just doesn't. I wish it did. I wish we were that sort of like easygoing, you know, family where everything happens organically. But we need, we need negotiation and we need systems. Yeah. And I find you just get into a routine and it's very easy to just let time pass by. And all of a sudden you're like, wow, a week has gone by and we haven't even really talked or, you know. Yeah. Shout out to Claritin for supporting this episode of The Mom Room and providing me with samples. You know how a lot of people can't leave the house without a water bottle? It's like their emotional support water bottle. I am the exact same way with facial tissues. And that is because I have such bad allergies, specifically in my sinuses, to the point where I know I'm going to have to blow my nose multiple times in a day, and I cannot be out in public without my emotional support facial tissues. Luckily, for those of us who live with the symptoms of allergies, we can live Claritin Clear with Claritin D. Designed for serious allergy sufferers, Claritin D has two powerful ingredients in just one pill that relieve your allergy symptoms and decongest your nose so that you can breathe better. This double action combination of prescription strength allergy medicine and the best decongestant available relieves sneezing, a runny nose, itchy and watery eyes, an itchy nose and throat, and sinus congestion and pressure with ease. Now I know if I have a big event, maybe I'm going to a concert, going out for dinner. I don't want to be blowing my nose every two seconds. It's very unbecoming. And so I will take Claritin D and enjoy my evening. Ready to live life as if you don't have allergies? It's time to live Claritin clear. Fast and powerful relief is just a quick trip away. Find Claritin D at the pharmacy counter or ask for Claritin D at your local pharmacy. You don't even need a prescription. Go to Claritin.com right now for a discount so you can live Claritin clear. Use as directed. My husband and I both turn the big four zero next year, and we have been thinking a lot about our long-term health. We want to get smarter about our health, make better choices, but also not feel overwhelmed trying to separate fact from fiction. There is so much information out there and it can be hard to figure out what applies to you, what is right and what is wrong. Well, let me introduce you to the Zoe Science and Nutrition Podcast. With the help of world-leading scientists, they help you make smarter health choices every week. Don't just take my word for it. Naomi's Apple Review says Zoe Science and Nutrition is super easy to consume 
consume even if you don't understand the science. With loads of actionable tips, a great mix of guests, and interesting cutting-edge science. You can't go wrong with a weekly podcast where world-leading scientists explain how their own research could improve your health. If you're ready to join millions of others like Naomi transforming their health, then search for Zoe Science and Nutrition wherever you listen to podcasts. My favorite chapter is, I think it's chapter three. So it's called Get Off Your Ass and Help Out, Our Harrowing Encounter with the Man from Boston. So my PhD was very much focused on like looking at the efficacy of psychotherapy. When I read this chapter, I was like, I wish this guy had a bunch of data on his method of what he does. And I want to know how effective it is and, you know, like hear people's experiences because I was just fascinated by it and also a little bit scared. Like, wow, he just tells it like it is. I also had to Google him because I was like, I need to know what this guy (laughs) looks like. So did he look like what you thought he would look like? What were your impressions? I'm curious. I think I was expecting like a tall, like strong built, bald man. Hmm, interesting. I don't know why. Yeah. Okay, like kind of quasi military or like a yeah. Mr. Clean or. Yeah, ish. Yeah. You like that. T-shirt on or. <laughs> he was mopping floors. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, that's what I expected. So. Dream, right? Yeah. Um, yeah. So then he, you see that he's kind of. Not crunchy exactly, because he's definitely, but yeah, you know, he's got the love bead, you know, bracelet on and stuff like that. So yeah, and he's very charismatic in person. He's got these very piercing eyes and and he's very funny. And I don't know that that came across in the chapter. And in fact, now, weirdly, it's weird for me, but we're kind of, we, we check in with each other on email every once in a while. And, you know, he jokes around and it's just, he knows he knows a lot about me and it's just very weird, but also great because he's good company. But yes, I can imagine from your point of view, what he does is a bit unconventional, isn't it? Yes. But it absolutely, I, I, I kid you not, it changed the course of our marriage. Like rarely are you told, and, and it's, it's crucial that it's by someone that you don't know. Cause you know, your, your mom or whatever can give you straight talk, but they know you, you know, and you can discount some of it, but someone who sort of, forensically examines your marriage and then turns to you and he doesn't blink very much. It's, it's, you're, you're like, you know, <laughs> the mongoose, right? And he's the cobra. And then you don't know what he's going to say. And I, I remember my heart was absolutely pounding because I knew that he was going to hit me with like a horrible truth bomb, multiple horrible truth bombs, which he did. But there's something very clarifying about being told the truth about yourself, your deepest, darkest behaviors, which we did have to tell him. I don't know if I put it in the book or not. He had like separate sessions with the both of us where he just drilled into me. Like it was amazing. He's just one of those people where I was telling him stuff I've never told another human being. And so he knew it all and quickly, which I know is not, which goes against therapy's principles, right? You have to sort of do this, of course, you know, over time, but it really woke us up and we were both so rattled. And he said to me, and he was absolutely right. Like you're being a martyr because I was doing the thing where I would kind of hate bang pots and pans around and hope that Tom, my husband could read my mind. We couldn't read my mind and I was being a martyr. And there's something very kind of exciting about being self-righteous, which is what something Terry also told me. Like when you are muttering and you're like 
bullshit, you know, and, and why am I putting up with this crap? And I can remember bursting out to my husband, I'm doing everything around here. And, and that doesn't give Tom anywhere to go, but it keeps me firmly, you know, in the right in my mind. And I remember Terry like telling me to climb off the cross because I was being a martyr. And then Tom has never, has never been spoken to like that in his life where the, where Terry said to him, are you insane? This is at the time it was the 20th century, but he was like, what era are you living in? Get your ass off the couch. Why is she doing all the work? She's going to leave you. What? Why, who, why are you so entitled? Who do you think you are? And like people, when you get to be an adult, maybe you get yelled at like that when you're a kid, but like many people do not get spoken to in that manner, you know, except for by some, your crazy boss or whatever, but you can just write that off. But when someone's tell, speaking the truth to you harshly, I can't explain to you. It was, it was absolutely, it changed, it, it altered our course. We went back to the hotel because we had to go to Boston and, you know, we were living in Brooklyn and, and we, we got back to the hotel room. We were like, <laughs> Tom had a double scratch. He was like, <laughs> we both went into a deep, like Nosferatu sleep, like Dracula. And we woke up in the morning and already we were more tender with each other. And even, I mean, for months, it was a behavioral mechanism where Tom was so afraid of having another session with Terry that he really did snap too. But also, I don't know how you could translate that. Like, how do we replicate that for other people? I mean, it is a very specific form of therapy. But you're right, there needs to be more research on it because we did one endless session and then some follow-up sessions. Then that, that, that was it. And then we did therapy with other people. Yeah, no, it's fascinating. And when you were talking about being the martyr, I just did a podcast episode not too long ago with a psychologist all about resentment. So having kids and then resenting your partner. And we were talking about kind of the confirmation bias. So you already have this thought in your head about your partner. And so you're looking for it instead of correcting your partner so that they don't do it anymore. You're, you're almost hoping that they do it so that you're like, oh, God, you see, like you're an asshole, <laughs> like, you know, I'm virtuous and I'm unloading, I'm, I'm unloading the dishwasher and you're not, and you're lazy. So that's, yes, that's what I did with Tom is I had become so blinkered, right? So I'm, I'm putting up blinkers just so everyone can see. <laughs> yeah. What am I doing? But I, I really had that, that I, the loop in my head was that Tom was lazy. Tom wasn't helping out. I was doing everything. I was like this octopus doing a million things all at once all the time. And so there was a confirmation bias. Every time he would do something like that, it would confirm what I thought. And I, it made me stop looking for the good. And there was a lot of good. And that's something also that, you know, John and Julie Gottman, the famous marriage therapist, also say is one of the absolute tenets of a, of a successful marriage is to look for the good. And sometimes, you, particularly now we're all in lockdown, you have to actively look for that good. But it's there and the more you can switch your confirmation bias to the good parts, the better. You know, oh, he's a good man. He's a good father. You know, and, and so I had to shift in order to do that. Creating the culture of appreciation, I think it's what they call it. I love that. It's so valuable for anyone. You talked about, and I related to this so much in quarantine life, you talked about how your husband would go away for a few days and you felt less stressed when he was away. And so for us in quarantine, I 
had just literally days before we got shut down here, I finished my PhD. So I was like on this high, like, woo. And then it was like, you're stuck at home with your toddler now. But my husband, because he's a physician, carried on with his regular life. And so I started to find when I was at home, I would be waiting for my husband to get home excited. And then he would arrive at home and my life didn't change. I had these major expectations that everything is going to be good and I don't have these responsibilities and, you know, life is great as soon as he walks in the door. Like that's huge pressure on him to change my life in that moment. (laughs) So it took me a while to figure that out because he would come home and then all of a sudden I was grumpy all evening or I was grumpy all weekend. And I realized that it was because of this weird expectation that I had that everything would be better once he got home. So it got better. But do you understand why you were less stressed when he was away? And did it have anything to do with expectations, do you think? Well, can I go back and ask you, how did you work it out then? Because like, what were you expecting? Was it like in the movies where the deadpan mom says, here, he's yours now and hands the baby over to the husband? Or is it, is it more like, what were you expecting? For us, what we started to realize was Milo was at that age where it's like constant, you know, because he's going to hurt himself if you're not constantly on him. And it was super, it was difficult, but I made TikToks and that made things (laughs) a little bit better. (laughs) But I think my husband would come home and then he would like start making dinner. And, you know, then if the grass had to be cut, he would go cut the grass. And so nothing changed. I'm still hovering over Milo watching him. And then I would be irritated because I'm like, okay, he's home and I'm still doing the same thing. So we started to kind of talk about that. And then I would go cut the grass. I would make dinner. And we used to laugh because it was like, what's worse, watching a toddler or making dinner? And I was like, I think I want to make dinner tonight. (laughs) I had to admit that to him and be like, I want to go cut the grass. I never cut grass in my life. And I started cutting the freaking grass and it was the best. I knew exactly what I was in for. Like a lot of my resentment, I was able to locate what my resentment was. And it was hoping he would help me out. And even the word help, you know, is sort of a loaded term, isn't it? Like it isn't, you know, you, you posted about this, like, you know, it's that I would hope he would join me and he wouldn't. And so there was this kind of unknown quantity of like, oh, are we going to have a fight tonight? Or is he going to help? Do I have to ask him? Do I have to be the house manager and ask him? And when he was away and I had a toddler or a baby, I knew exactly how my day was going to unfold. I mean, toddlers can be unpredictable but it was stuff I could handle and I wasn't resentful of my toddler or my baby. And so it it just was more smooth. I even slept better at night and I just, my blood pressure was lower and I thought, well, this is not good. And you know, one of the reasons we were having such trouble is I thought, Oh, maybe I can handle this on my own because I know exactly what I'm in for. But you know what? It is nice to be, I mean, I, 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 single mothers do a great job, but for me, it was, it was good to have another person, you know? And so, so that was, that was what the resentment was for me. It was like, oh, I'm, I'm less stressed out and I know what I'm in for. And so that made me think kind of analytically about like, okay, the X factor for us is going back to what I said earlier, like expecting that the other person is going to jump in and help you or take over or doing the thing about who's more tired. You know, when you do that, yeah. <laughs> who deserves to sleep in more? Like that debate that you have, like, yeah, it's Friday night, he's come home, but being with a kid all day is is very tiring. It's tiring in a, in a, in a whole new way. Mentally, 
right? It yeah. just rains you like a like a, the world's biggest mosquito or something. <laughs> and so we tried to remove any source of ambiguity because it really is all about clarity, as clear as you can make things. I cannot say this enough, especially with the pandemic. Like, find out where those sources of ambiguity are and get rid of them. And for us, like when Tom would, he writes books too. So he would travel for work to do research on books. And it was that thing also with you where he would come home and I would think, oh, okay, it's going to be a little more festive now, you know, and it, it wasn't. And we realized, okay, we need, when he comes home, he needs a transitional cushion of an hour. So we, we used to say hello to him when he came home and then we would back off for an hour and let him transition get his corn chips, get his drink, you know, chill out. And then we had very clear jobs. This is making our marriage sound very unsexy, but <laughs> do it, you know, like just then it, he would, I would say, okay, after you've had your hour cushion, could you then make dinner and I'll clean up dinner, like bargain, bargain, negotiate, negotiate. And once we had our little systems, then you can have fun within the system just to make it not so like <laughs> hell at our house. So that's, you know, a lot of these things, especially now, you can look at them and this sounds so sunny when this is not people's reality, but look for opportunities. Now that there's nowhere to hide and we're all at home together, look for opportunities that can be fixed in your marriage, in your family. You know, you can't blame it on anything else, especially when you're all home. And so it's really a good way. It's like how people are redecorating them in their houses. Like redecorate your marriage and your family if you can. And, and even now we're always like, where are things unclear? So I talk, don't I? Am I your talkiest guest? Oh, no, 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 no. I do solo episodes as well. And I love having co-hosted guests because I don't have to talk as much. <laughs> so this is great. <laughs> this episode is brought to you by Little Spoon. If you're like me, then the bane of your existence is thinking about what to feed your children, prepping food, going to the grocery store, all of the above. Who has the time? We are all so busy and it's important to incorporate things into our life that keep our life as simple and convenient as possible. Lil Spoon is one way to do just that. They deliver fresh, healthy meals and snacks straight to your door that your kid will love at every eating stage they are in. The baby blends are fresh, organic baby food from single ingredients to multi-textured purees to take the stress out of starting solids. They partner with Clean Label Project to test their blends for 400 plus contaminants, including heavy metals. So you know you're getting good stuff. The Biteables are finger food meals that are cut to size to promote easy self-feeding and they are healthy, balanced, and free of artificial junk. The Little Spoon Plates are toddler and big kid meals that are free of junk and they taste amazing. Even the pickiest eaters will love them. Think hidden veggie mac and cheese, chicken nuggets, and adventurous eats like potstickers, gnocchi, and more. They also offer really fun things like puffs, they have smoothies, lunchers, and snacks. You quite literally never have to think about food again. It's just easy peasy. And did I mention this all comes right to your door? It is so flexible, so easy, and everything stores right in the fridge and freezer. The price is right. The quality is unmatched. You are going to love it and your kids are going to love it. It is just a huge win for your family. 
Simplify your kids' mealtime with 30% off your first order. Go to littlespoon.com slash momroom and enter our code momroom at checkout to get 30% off your first Little Spoon order. This episode is brought to you by Lola V. Lola V is an award-winning hair care line by none other than Jennifer Aniston. They offer clean, plant-powered products for every hair type and texture. I just did my whole hair care routine with all the products the other night and I am obsessed. Along with incredible shampoo and conditioner, they have an intensive repair treatment that you can use once a week. They also have a lightweight hair oil. There's a leave-in treatment and there's also a glossing detangler, which I need because lately I want to do my hair in like a slicked back look, but my hair is too frizzy. Get 15% off Lola V with the code MOMROOM at www.lolav.com slash MOMROOM and Lola V is L-O-L-A-V-I-E. So the next thing I thought we could talk about was maternal gatekeeping. I loved reading about that in the book and it's something that I do for sure. And I was trying to think about why I do that. And it could be very simple things. Like even when we're putting on his diaper before bedtime, I'm like checking that the edges are rolled out and like, well, did you pull it up enough? And if he does it on his own and I come back, like sometimes I'll check under the PJs to see like, you know, cause I've just worry what if he pees overnight and then it leaks out and then he wakes up. Like that's always the motivation. This. Yes. Good husband on one of your, on one of your posts, right? Yes. 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 Yeah. So how do women or moms, like, how do we stop doing that? <laughs> I know I, I was fascinated too, because once I started, once I clued into maternal gatekeeping, which is basically, you know, you really do think of it as a gate. Like either you can open the door and let your husband in or clang it shut and do everything. And of course, when you first bring that baby home, like, you know, I did babysitting and I had two younger sisters and I thought, oh, I've got this. I didn't know anything. You know, you're, you're sitting there in your living room with this baby and both of you are complete amateurs. But I remember, you know, going back, like I had a baby shower with my friends and family. We were all talking. They were, I was getting tips from friends. He wasn't. And so it even started beforehand where I felt like, oh, I, I'm, I know more about this than you do. And so... Maternal gatekeeping can be either verbal. You can say like my, my classic thing that I would say is just give her to me. He would he would be bathing her. He would be dressing her. Like you mentioned, you know, snaps are all over the place. And I, <laughs> 1,700 snaps on onesies, right? And so he would be, of course, you know, trying to figure it out. And I would say, I'd be behind him like, that snap goes here. Just, just let me do it, you know? And the more I set myself up as the expert and he's the apprentice, the more he's going to buy into it. If he's a hesitant father and who isn't, and you, you, you know, shut that gate, then he's not going to get, he's not going to join in. He's not going to feel comfortable or confident. And I was, I was doing it a lot and it's even nonverbal. It can be like, if he's, you know, feeding the baby, I mean, verbal would be like, oh, there's no green stuff. Usually I give him like a little bit of green. I mean, it's just better. (laughs) Or, but it can be nonverbal. Like if he's feeding the baby and it mostly gets on the baby, you know, and you're going, (sighs) you know, that, that knocks his confidence. And, and so I really became aware of when I was doing it. And I even wrote about it in the book, like even when my child got older and was in elementary school, when I would get on this mom chat, you know, and I would text, he would walk by and I'd be like, <laughs> and he would know it was something good that we were talking about, right? And he would say, oh, what are you talking about? And I would say, oh, you wouldn't be interested. And I had to stop that. You know, I would share with him, it's his, it's his kids, you know, friends, parents, and they're talking about the kids and he, he wants to know. And 
I had him go chaperone on class trips. I would CC him when I would email with the pediatrician because I wasn't doing that. You know, it even, it starts with the pediatrician, right? I was the portal to that pediatrician and then I would report to Tom. So I just started involving him and he, he wasn't resentful. He liked it. And it's, it, it is this upwards spiral where the more you involve them, I mean, this was the case anyway from my husband and I've heard this quite a bit from mothers. The more you involve them, the more involved they get. And the more they start kind of taking over certain things. And, you know, I, I realized this is all my doing because this, in this book, I really had to examine my own behavior. It wasn't, you know, my story of being oppressed. It was what am I bringing to the table that is absolutely wrong. And that was one of the many things. So I check my behavior even, even now. You know, you, you have to be careful and you have to involve them any way that you can. And everybody wins, including your child. Like you don't want to be, you know, I was like the champion wiper in my house, right? When she was potty training and you don't want to be the only one that can wipe your child, right? You want someone else to wipe them. Yeah. <laughs> I feel like for us, it was almost a blessing in disguise that when Milo was really young, like just over a year old. I had to go to another city a couple times for a weekend, for a few days to do school stuff. So he stayed home with my husband. And just from reading people's comments, and I get so many messages on social media, that's very uncommon for husbands to be home alone with a baby for any length of time. And so I started to realize that that was not really the norm. But I think having those experiences made me realize that he can do everything and everything's going to be fine. And moving forward, it's very easy for us to like some nights I'll go do bath and bed. Sometimes he does. Sometimes we do it together. He can do dinner. I can do dinner. He does just as much of the potty training as I do. And I think me leaving for those days at a time kind of set us up for that to happen. But I hear from some women who are like, well, my, my child's three and he's never been alone with my husband. And I'm like, what? Like, I can't imagine. And then I'm, I'm assuming it just gets worse and worse as time goes on because you lose the confidence as you keep going that everything's going to be okay if they're home with the husband. Yes. It doesn't take a master's degree to change a diaper, right? I mean, that's the thing also. It's like anybody can learn. There's you know, aside from breastfeeding, what can't he do? And he can bottle feed the kid, you know, it's just the same thing and they bond. And, but I was guilty of that myself. Did you feel guilty when you went on those weeks? Because, because again, like think about the message. And this is the thing also I realized about maternal gatekeeping. When I never left my apartment ever, I was always at arm's length for my baby. And then my child, as she grew older, what if she needed me? Oh Lord, you know, but what message I realized am I sending to my husband? Like, I don't trust you. I don't think you're competent. It's, it's his child, you know? And, and so I, I made myself go out, but I, I too, cause I wrote about this in the book. I've heard from so many women who are like, I have never, you know, maybe I'll dart out to the drugstore, but that's it. Otherwise I am here. I wouldn't dream of going away for a night or a weekend with their friends, you know, terrible things could happen. Right. And I made myself start doing that at the urging of therapists who were saying the same thing you were like, you have to do that. And then you come back and it's so sweet. They, they, they bomb, they have a great time. They have in jokes that don't involve you, which is so important, you know? And so when I made myself do that, I, so you didn't feel the guilt. Interesting. Good 
for you because it's corrosive. <laughs> it's corrosive. Your kids yeah. will be fine, you know, and, and you come back a better mother because you're replenished because you've gotten stimulation and affirmation from other areas. You know, I, when I started going out way late in the game, like when she was four or something, you know, for one night I started small, but I would, I remember even going to my parents' house. They live one state over. And just being a kid myself and staying at my parents, like I'm so happy that they're still here, you know, and I, could, I should t- appreciate them. And I would come home, whistling a happy tune, be an easygoing mom, that I was a better mother. And so that helped, but, but I know it's this, it's this thing. And it doesn't, this is not to condemn all the moms who do that. I was there myself. I did that myself. But if you can make yourself start small, go out for half an hour, take a walk around the block, come back, the confirmation bias, your child's fine. You know, there's no, the house hasn't burned down and then go from there. And like, if I had to tell myself, cause one therapist said to me, remember, just remind yourself when I do things for myself, I come back and I'm a better mother, more easygoing, less reactive, you know, happier and more fulfilled. Your, your kid can't fulfill everything in you. Yeah. And I think the more, in my case, for sure, the more my husband does, the more I realize that he's better at some things than I am. And if you don't give them the opportunity, then you might not ever know that. But, you know, he is super relaxed, super like he kind of took the lead on potty training because he was just super chill about it. And I was like, okay, you got to go potty. You got to go like stressed out. And so, yeah, I think the more that you let your partner do, the more you realize, wow, they're actually better than me at some things. Taking the lead at potty training. That's hot. Yeah. 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 (laughs) You're looking at your husband differently. You know, you're like, oh yeah, you got this. Yeah, for sure. I was curious because I talk a lot about mom guilt. I'm not immune. I didn't feel guilty going away, but I feel guilt in other ways. And so I'm curious if you felt mom guilt when Sylvie was a toddler and I'm looking to the future and I'm thinking, what are some things that you might feel guilty about now? Like once your child is older, so she's 10 now, right? Or 11? She's 11. Oh, wow. Yeah. Well done. Do you have mom guilt? And if you do right now, as she's 11 years old, what would it be about? I'm curious for my own research. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, you know, mostly it's about, I've really gotten better about the mom guilt because I see, you know, I mean, this is the ironic thing, right? Is that the, the older you get and you grow with your child, the more you realize what a waste of time it was to feel guilty and how you could have been doing other things with that energy, right? Like, I always think of this. I remember, this is not going to, this is sort of relevant, but I remember we saved up money back when there were circuses before they were banned, which I think they are now, not just because of COVID, but because of all kinds of things. But there's a Ringling Brothers circus that came to New York. And I remember Tom and I saved up, you know, we're freelance journalists and we saved up money so that our three-year-old could go in the front row of the circus and like, you know, see the elephants close up. And it was really fun being that close. And of course, we almost had to take out a second mortgage for the damn circus. Does she remember any of it? No, she doesn't remember any of it. She sees pictures and she doesn't remember any of it. And a lot of that is for you. You know, it's yeah. not. Oh, yeah. 
And so I just think about what I could have put energy towards in terms of guilt. So guilt now, because of the pandemic, I'm always, again, available to her. I mostly feel what I'm struggling with now is accepting that she's older. And I have one child. And so everything's kind of a first and a last, which is lovely and also bittersweet. I find that I'm having difficulty accepting that she's a preteen, that she's going through pre-adolescence. I still call her names that I know probably make her cringe, like Honey Bear. Does an 11-year-old girl want to be called Honey Bear? Maybe in private, you know? (laughs) And, you know, even with she wants to decorate a room, you know, they start to be preoccupied with being cool. But I want her room to be cute because I'm having trouble giving up all the sweet little bunnies and chicks that used to be in her room when she was little. She moved into a different room and I, she wanted to get rid of a bunch of stuff. And I kept, she has a little raggedy Anne that she said, oh, I'm, I think I'm too old for this. I kept it. It's in my bedside table. I kept her My Little Ponies that she cut the, the mane off of. And so it's more about me getting, trying not to be mawkishly sentimental and for seeing her as, as she is instead of, you know, I have to accept that she's getting older, I guess is, um, but guilt, what do, what do I feel guilty about? Well, even now, I feel guilty that I fought with my husband in front of her. That part, interestingly, she does remember. Doesn't remember the circus, but remembers me calling daddy a dickhead. <laughs> of course. <laughs> right? And so when I think back retroactively, I do feel guilty that I didn't handle that better because there's a lot of things that moms beat themselves up about that they really they can't do anything about, you know, and it makes me feel so sad that that I could have done something about, I could have handled that better. But now, yeah, it's mostly about that we're not in sync in terms of how I view her and how she really is. Mm. Yeah. Like the growing up, this is not on the outline, but I, I just thought of this and I'm so curious. Something at me. Yeah. Because like, get ready. No, <laughs> Because she's 11, I always wonder about and worry about the internet and social media for when Milo gets older. Who knows what it's going to be at that time? How are you navigating that with her? And do her friends have social media accounts already? Do they have cell phones? Like, what does that look like? She has a cell phone. She's not on any social media. And I might have gone even a little overboard about that because, again, I report on some of this stuff for newspapers and I, I, I know exactly what's out there, you know? And, and so I put a little maybe healthy fear in her. So we have parental controls on everything. She does everything in front of us with her computer. Most of her friends have phones. A lot of the parents have disabled a lot of the things that they can do, but like, I am worried when they all get together in private. In some ways, especially because of this pandemic, I've managed to prolong her naivete a little bit more because I'm just with her all the time. You know, I think about things that I was shown when I was really young that I I can still remember how shocked I was, you know, like nine and 10 today. So we just keep a close eye on her. It's easier when you have one. I I fully acknowledge that. And I, I have no problem looking at her texts and any of that stuff. And it, at least in her case, it reassures her that I'm in charge. And even though she rolls her eyes at all of me clamping down and her like, normally she'd be right over there with her computer and we frequently go by and look and see what she's looking at. That's what's worked for us. But as she grows, she may get more resentful of us clamping down. You know, these are early days. She's 11. Yeah. You're already thinking ahead. 
I'm already thinking ahead of how am I going to deal when she goes to college? And I ask <laughs> that all the time. Like you're already like, right? Yeah. I try to, this is another thing I try to do is live in the moment, which is also somewhat hard, isn't it? Sometimes. No, oh, I'm not that person. I'm constantly looking ahead. And apparently this is why I have a horrible memory because I'm constantly looking ahead. And so if you're the type of person that does that, then you tend to not have many memories. Cause my friends will be like, Oh my God, remember like that time we went to here and I'm like, what? Like <laughs> we did what? <laughs> yeah. A horrible memory. So yes. Do you feel like the default parent? I talk a lot about this. I noticed this in myself that, you know, that this was our family dynamic when we were in quarantine. Because I feel like quarantine just amplified everything for us, which was kind of great because I, I did all this like self-reflection and I learned all these things about us and we're able to make changes. You did the same thing, like what's working and what isn't, right? I mean, it's an opportunity. Okay, sorry. I know a lot of moms feel like the default parent. And I don't know if that's something that's more noticeable when kids are really small, like toddlers. Would you consider yourself the default parent today? Meaning like what would be an example of that? So for me, see, and this won't be applicable to you because you don't have to watch Sylvie constantly, but if we're all in a room together and and my husband has to go pee, he'll just get up and go pee and not even think twice about it. Whereas I will have to announce that I'm going pee. So make sure you watch Milo. Whether or not I need to say that or or not, I, I say it. And Saturday mornings, my husband gets up, he'll be making breakfast, like putting the garbage out in the garage. And I feel like I'm stuck to Milo. And I, if I want to go do something, I have to announce it and, and go do something. Yes. So I don't know how that would manifest as having an 11 year old, what that would look like, but does that ring a bell to you? Oh yeah. It's this job of house manager, right? It's all this stuff that you have in your head. It's the endless list, as it's called, you know, of, of if I don't parcel all this out, if I don't, yeah, announcing that you're leaving the room, if I don't organize, all, if I'm not the air traffic controller, then it's not going to get done. Yes, we still, we still have to watch that because, you know, with Tom, and he's, you know, the premise of my book is this isn't for people who are really in crisis or with abusive people. This is people who are, you know, are married to pretty nice guys, you know, in hetero relationships. And it's just, there's just centuries of men feeling entitled and you, you have a lovely husband and, and I do too. And like, it's, it's something they're not even conscious of, but you know, I remember when we were first had the baby, Tom would make plans to go out at night. Like his life in many ways did not change at all. Like everything kind of was on the same trajectory. Like he would say, oh yeah, you know, uh, oh, I'm going out tonight. I'm going out in about a half an hour. I'm just going to meet some uh, guys for a drink. And he would just leave. Like, that was just what he, he didn't, you know, there was no planning. There was no nothing. And so, no, to, to this day, I still feel like the default parent. And I mean, it's made a little bit worse because Tom can be absent-minded. So I do, I am that person who's like, did you bring the house keys? You know, <laughs> so I still do all of that stuff. And at least now I take the steam out of it by saying, you know, being upfront about it and saying, I really don't like being the house manager in a calm voice, no yelling, no more popping <laughs> off. I really don't. And, and I'll say, I'd like you to be a co-manager with me of the house. I don't want to be the house manager. I don't want all the stuff in my head. I'd like to take some of it and put it into your head, you know, and <laughs> so at least sharing it 
has helped because it can be, you know, it's kind of, you have to be vulnerable to make yourself, you know, Terry Real, the guy we talked about earlier when he would say like, why do you think he's going to read your mind? Why are you not talking? And he said, wait a minute, I'll tell you why. Because it can be vulnerable to really share what you need. You know, and even when I used to say like, why is he not helping me making dinner? I'm, I'm checking homework. I'm making dinner. I'm doing this. I'm, I'm, I'm emptying the dishwasher. There's so much resentment around the dishwasher. Especially now you're emptying it like three times a day. Quarantine, <laughs> right? Yeah. And sometimes as I'm emptying it, he comes in and asks me a question while I'm putting everything away and he doesn't help. So I just hand him stuff. You know, I try to, with therapists say, stay on your own side. And I think about this all the time. Like, don't raise your voice. Stay on your own side. Ask clearly for what you need. So I really try to do that. Like, hey, can you help me do the dishwasher? Which again, falls under house manager, but at least I'm on my own side. I am constantly weighing I don't know if this is helpful or not, but I think like, what is going to cause me the least amount of agita? Does fuming cause me agita? Yes, it does. It really stresses me out and gives me a stomach ache. Does saying, hey, I need help. Can you do this? Can you do this? Does that cause me less agita? Yes. Am I still the house manager? Yes. But it causes my, my blood pressure to really go down. And when I ask, he does help. Would I not like to ask? Very much so. Are we there yet? No. I'm going to stop at the question format, but, but that's, it, he's gotten a lot better. He's never going to read my mind. I've accepted that about him. He's just not, it's just, he's just not wired that way for whatever reason, but he has jumped up to help a lot more. Help. I don't know what term to use instead of. I know. I've been talking so much lately about communicating your needs and also the help thing. I had this TikTok that said something like, because I always get these comments saying, well, at least your husband does that. And so I, I made this comment saying, when you say at least your husband makes dinner, you're implying that it's my job. Yes, 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 yes. Yeah. Did people feel about that after you posted that? I saw Oh, that. like it's always a polarized thing, right? Most things that I talk about or post about, it's very polarized. People are like, yeah. And then people are like, no. <laughs> so <laughs> that's just the content that I create. <laughs> but, but yeah, it's huge. Communicating your needs is huge. And like you were saying, it can be uncomfortable because you're worried that they're going to, I think people just fear rejection or someone saying no, because then it's like, well, then what do I do? But you need to ask. And for the most part, they're just going to do it and they're going to help you, but they don't know (laughs) what you need help with if you don't say it. Right. Exactly. And just like before you get to that resentful part, like again, protect yourself, stay on your own side and ask. I mean, maybe I remember I (laughs) did a book of it and someone said, are we ever going to have to stop? Can we ever stop asking? Are we going to get to that point? Not, I really, I said, I'm no, I can't predict, you know, what's going to happen, but I feel like maybe not in this generation, but like we're modeling behavior for the next generation. And really, truly, like if you, if you think of it that way also, and that was probably, you know, sometimes people ask me like, what really got your husband aside from threatening to lawyer up? What made him change the most? And I said, And I've said, it's really that when I showed him, and I know you know all about this, like behavior modeling, you know, what you do is often more important for your child than what you say. Because I would preach about all kinds of things, you know, oh, girls can do anything and blah, 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 right? But what she saw was Tom laying on the couch and me doing everything, not the right kind of everything. I was doing everything. And, And so I said to him, like, here's some research that I printed out. Just could you read it? And this is what you're, we're teaching our child about what to expect when she is older. 
And if you want her to have a mate, a guy or gal who's on the couch all day playing social chess with some guy in the Philippines, which is what he <laughs> used to do, then this is what we're modeling. And like, you can talk about relationships, but this is what she sees and this is what she internalizes. He didn't like that. Oh, he did not like that. And listen, if the way in, you know, I used to feel guilty about this. You asked about guilt. I used to feel guilt like, wow, I wrote a whole book about how my marriage is crumbling. And it was because I was afraid we were ruining our child. Like my child's personality started to change when we fought. She got more cautious and watchful and she's a very goofy, happy-go-lucky kid. And I thought, ah, we're changing her behavior. You know, this is not good. That was really maybe the impetus for the book. And it wasn't, oh, our marriage sucks. And that makes me sad now. And I try not to feel guilty about that. Whatever works. I mean, he, he thought, okay, I have to model better behavior. And it was comical. <laughs> we were both modeling. and It was really bad community theater where he would say, honey, may I, may I help? Can I dry the dishes? <laughs> yes, you can. Come on over here, big fella. You know? Yeah. We would, and we were pantomiming. And sometimes we hated each other while we were pantomiming. But, you know, we did it. And that's what she grew to, that's what she sees. You can't be what you can't see. So, so when she's older, hopefully, you know, that resonated with him. She will, she will choose a relationship that's a little more equal. So, so that helped is the behavioral modeling construct for us. Oh, it's all so fascinating. So before I tell you to tell us where people can find you and about your website, do you have any projects that you're currently working on or what do you have coming up in the future? Any plans? I have to figure out another book. My agent says I need to build my brand such as it is, but I I don't know what to do next. And I was thinking it could be something about the sandwich generation. I don't know, you know, taking care of your parents and your kids or maybe something about an only child. I'm trying to figure it out. Aside from that, I also, uh, (laughs) it's been really fun. I write books for children, picture books, you know, age three to five usually. And so first one was, I'm afraid your teddy is in trouble today. And the latest is, I'm afraid your teddy's at the principal's office. And (laughs) because my daughter really thought for a while that her stuffed animals were real and that they got up into trouble when she was in kindergarten. She's a teacher. So I would say, Hey, just for authenticity, can you, you know, I had a scene with a principal and I said, can you run into your principal's office and let me know what the inspirational posters are on your principal's wall? Because everyone has them. You have to have some inspirational posters. And she would say, all right, because she's my little sister, I can text her during class and she'll, she can't help it. She'll get back to me. And she came back and said, okay, it says dream big. I'm like, of course, (laughs) of course that's in the principal's office. So that's been fun. And before a lockdown, I was doing book events with little kids, it's way different than book events with adults, some of whom fall asleep while you're doing a book event. Oh my gosh. And little kids are so excited, you know? And I remember I did, the last one I did before lockdown, a little boy, a little older than Milo, kept his hand on my knee the entire time because we were all cross-legged. It was very reassuring, his little warm hand, you know? (laughs) It's just much more fun than adult, you know, where you're like, anybody have any questions? Yeah. Whereas with a, with a kid's book, the questions are, I remember one was, have you ever been bitten by, have you ever <laughs> bitten by a shark? Like, <laughs> you know, not yet. Not yeah. yet. And this was, of course, have you ever been bitten by a lion? And then it was just mayhem. Yeah. Whereas with adults, there are, there are no questions. That, that is my long answer to say that I do kid's books and I'm figuring out an adult book. I don't know. You got to start a TikTok. Do you have a TikTok? I don't. Should I? 
You should. Everyone needs TikTok. At least you need to make an account and go on and consume TikToks because it's so entertaining. My God, I really am in the Jurassic age, right? Should I just, should I move into the 21st century and, and at least look at TikTok and get it? Yeah. Is that what it's called? Getting it? Look, oh my God. I sound like grandma. You can, you can download the app <laughs> or you can get it. <laughs> call you. You may have to talk me through it. Yeah. Yeah. I'll give you a little, a rundown. So where can people find you? What's your Instagram and your website? Oh, it's uh, just jancydon.net. Someone's squatting on jancydon.com and I'm not paying them $3,000. Oh, that's like me and the momroom.com. It's crazy. It was thousands of dollars. I right? was like, no. Yeah, come on. And then Instagram, Jancy Dunn, my name, J-A-N-C-E-E, Dunn, D-U-N-N. Awesome. Well, I'll put your website and your Instagram in the episode notes so that people can find you. But yeah, this was such a fun chat. I'm so happy that we got to do this. And yeah, I will tag you on, I make fun little promotional videos for the episodes. Uh, Well, a video editor makes them, not me. But I will tag you and yeah, I will chat with you on Instagram, I'm sure. Oh my gosh. This is such a blast. I knew we would have a lot to talk about. You're so good at this and thank you. Oh, thanks. Thank you so much. Have a great day. Bye. Bye.